I think that was the longest intro I've ever had. Can't start out start out your talk crying either. That's not good either. Man, I'm so glad to be here today. I'm so glad to be on this stage. You know, when I was the very first speaker at this event when there were 15 of us. And man, I got a standing ovation only because everyone needed to get to work and had to get out of here real quick. So that's kind of how that worked. Um, thank you, so many of you, for being here and for supporting me. I got so many texts before people cheering me on. I mean, I think um, that matters most to me is, is that so many of you have cheered. So many of you are cheering back, and I'm so incredibly grateful. I start with this photo today just because it is my why, my family, my wife, my kids, my boys, and I'm so grateful um, that God's given them to me because it is really why I do what I do. Um, and we'll get into that here in just a, just a few minutes about my why even further. This is a little town that I grew up in called Hickory Ridge, um, Arkansas, and you can see a population there, 272. I came from a very, very small town, so my appreciation for all that I see here and living in this nice, big luxury city is really something that I don't take for granted. It's a big deal to me. I want to show you this, too. This is the house I grew up in, uh, very humble, 1,200 square feet. Three bedrooms, one bathroom, and I had three sisters, so you can imagine how much I got the bathroom. It's very little. Uh, so I've learned how to hold it for a long time or just go in the backyard, <laughs> which I, I did do a few times. Um, this, this is uh, me and my sisters. I don't know why in the world my parents would want to photograph us in the bathroom because, you know, today it's an iPhone. It's a quick snap. With that, you had to go get out a 35-millimeter camera, and I'm like, I didn't know I was posing for a shoot, and I was really thankful for cloudy bathtub water there because you never know what could come out of the water. We were a really tight community, um, Methodist Church. Uh, as some of you know, um, man, community is so important, and I learned so much about community in that small church. And although my beliefs moved definitely beyond Methodist, there's so much that I learned in that church about God's Word, so much of God's Word I hid in my heart when I was there, and it really was a huge difference. When I look at that photo, it's really hard to kind of not hold back the tears just because of all the things God did in that small little tiny church. There were so many things that happened, too. We had um, somebody, everyone, everyone asked me, how did you get from a rice field to Tulsa, Oklahoma? Um, it had a lot to do with the fact that uh, some students from Oral Roberts University came to this tiny little church. And we talk about your steps being ordered. There was no way that I, that I would have even known about Tulsa because we barely had a TV as it was. Uh, but we watched Oral Roberts a lot on TV. And I, was, I knew that if I could get here, that big things could happen because Oral Roberts said expect a miracle. And believe me, getting out of a rice field, I really needed a miracle. That's for darn sure. So I came to ORU in 1987, hung out here. After I graduated in 91, I hung out here at the church, and I've been here ever since. So to say I'm loyal is probably an understatement, but absolutely 100% the truth about who I am as a person. Today we're going to talk a little bit about my hills and valleys. I didn't want to come here. I know a lot uh, you think people are polished, and we do have a lot of polished speakers here on this stage. But I didn't want to be that guy today, although I definitely can pull that off, and I can have a keynote and a PowerPoint that would probably blow your mind. But I want to give you a little bit more about who I am, and hopefully I can get through this today without too many tears being shed. I want to go through just a few scriptures. We talk about contentment. What does contentment look like? In hills and valleys, we see that God, um, oftentimes we see God really, really great when we're at the top, or we're in the valley, we ask lots of questions. And so these scriptures have been really, um, really important to me over the years, and I just want to go over those because I'll reference them throughout it. I've learned to be content in whatever situation. And man, I like this translation because situations, we have situations. Am I right on that? We have situations in our lives when things happen. 
And what's the key? The key is to contentment in him. Whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's a good report, if there's any excellence in anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. How many times have you gone through stuff where you needed this? Like, this is my rock. This is what I've got to land on. And I've had to do, the, do that a lot in my life. Uh, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, be anxious for nothing. Like, sometimes you can just stop there. Like, if you, whatever you're going through today, no matter what it is, you can just stop and say, today, I need to be anxious for nothing, period, end of story. And that's what God meant, very, very clear. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Man, I like um, <clears throat> that the beginning of that scripture, be anxious for nothing, the you part of that. It's understood you, meaning you. I have to take that responsibility on to be anxious for nothing. It's not easy. It's really, really not easy, especially when st- all hell's going on around you. Like you, my life's been full of, of hills and valleys. And oftentimes um, we say this a lot, um, God is good. We hashtag bless, we hashtag God is good. <clears throat> but most of the time that's when we're standing on the mountaintop. It's not very often that happens in the valley because in the valley, we're asking questions. We're, we're wondering, is God really good? And today, that's a question I kind of kind of want to ask you is that God is good all the time, question mark. Is that really true? Is God good all the time, even when we don't see him? So many of you, I've walked through some stuff with, and we've asked that question together, like, where is God in the middle of all this? And what do I do when I can't see him? So let's talk a little bit about some of my hills and valleys today. Um... This is something I don't talk about much. I don't think I've ever talked about it publicly at all. But um, when I was younger, I had really bad, my feet turned in really, really bad. And so I remember when I was three and four, I still remember it, that I had to wear those. I don't know if you guys have seen this contraption before, but I had to wear that on my, on my feet for almost a year to keep my feet from turning in. And so it was, I just, just torture, absolute torture. I had to sleep in it. So you can imagine if that's on your feet, you can't turn over. And I had that problem uh, for a very long time. So it was, a, it was a tough thing. It was a challenge, you know, and you, you wonder, am I going to be able to run? Am I going to be able to do all the things that I like to do in my life? Well, let's fast forward 22 years later, and my parents, who were phenomenal at never telling me no, no to things that, that they thought that maybe I couldn't do, or maybe it wouldn't be possible for me to do, but they never said no. You can do whatever you want. The sky's the limit. Thank God for parents who don't set limits on you. And that's why I can still stand here today. But fast forward 22 years later, and I ran a marathon. What they didn't know is that people who are slightly pigeon-toed make really good runners. And so this is a long time ago when this was still a new thing. And so I want to talk about that a little bit, just um, talking about hills and valleys. I, I was in my late 20s, and, and it was a January, and, you know, January, set your goal time and put, put all together what you're going to do for the year. And I started saying, I'm running a marathon. I'm like, I had never run more than maybe six miles. But it gave me a whole year to confess what it is that I wanted to see happen. So for that whole year, I confessed, I'm running a marathon. Did I know how? Not necessarily. I did a lot of reading, did a lot of studying, kind of figured out how I wanted to, how I wanted to attack 26 miles. Um, some of you in here, I'm sure, have run marathons and probably have run multiples. I did one, and I'm like, I'm good. I'm good. I did it. Check that one off. Move on. I didn't want to die in that one, but it, it was tough. But I got into the race, and unfortunately, um, I made a bad decision in my training. I didn't read this in the book somewhere, that um, you don't change your shoe when you're training, especially two weeks before the race. I changed my shoe. This was actually the shoe that I did the race in. But I, um, I changed my shoe, and I just mangled my right foot. And so I had a really bad bruise on my arch of my foot. But I'm like, I'm doing this. You know, God told me that I needed to do this. I'm going to do it. 
And so I got into about mile eight of the race and I've got all my family here. I've got family and friends. And as I trained throughout the whole thing, I'd have people come meet me in rollerblades. I had people come, they would meet me with whatever contraption they had that had wheels because they couldn't necessarily run with me all the time. So it was a, quite the process, but I did it by myself. Not a good decision at all. It'd been better if I had a, a community of people that ran with me. I learned that later. If I'm doing it again, I'm doing it with friends. But I, um, my foot was injured about mile eight. Uh, things got really bad. And I thought, okay, I've done this for a year and I'm not going to finish this race. And so the voices start talking, you know, in your head and you have to really combat that. And how many times when we're in a valley, the voices come and the voices for some reason seem to be a lot louder in the valley. I don't know why that is other than the enemy just wants to take you out. But I felt really strongly the enemy wanted to take me out in those those moments and say, you're not going to finish this race. But I'm like, Lord, I know you asked me to do this and I'm finishing this race. So continue to pray. I was praying the whole time I was running. At that point, when you're hurting, you pray a whole lot more than you did before you were not hurting, you know? Uh, and so we got, we got through mile eight, and the pain completely went away. Like, didn't come back the rest of the race, was gone. Now, I had other pains, but, but that one went away, the one that, that would have kept me from finishing the race, and I got through the race and finished it. But I have to say today, you know, it's interesting how in those scenarios, when things are so bad, you begin to question everything. You like, the enemy just starts to unravel. It's like a sweater where you pull the string and the thing just starts to unravel right in front of you. And we have to be careful in our valley moments that we don't let the enemy completely unravel and undo everything that we know that we're supposed to do because it happens. It's that voice. It's that voice in the back of your head that says, you really can't do this. It's 26 miles. I mean, the first guy who did a marathon died. So the enemy brings those kinds of horrible thoughts to your head. I'm like, I'm finishing this race. But I'm convinced that God carried me through that. He carried me through that, that race. So I had a victory. It took me a while. I think the last mile took me, or the last six miles took me an hour, but I finished. I didn't care at that point. I was glad, and I went and had a great dessert after that. For those of you who know me, I love dessert. Uh, So today, you know, some of the things I'm thinking through this is, if you're in mile eight of 26, you're not even close to the finish line. What is the enemy saying to you? What is God saying to you? And are you listening? Which voice are you listening to? Because it's really important that you you stick to the one who's going to get you to the finish line. For me, I had to really think about what that voice was and was I willing to listen to it in that hour. Shortly after I finished that race, that race um, I met a beautiful, tall, blonde lady named Crystal Bird. Just Crystal Bird, what a beautiful name, uh, and, and beautiful woman. And I met her here at church. Um, she had just returned from college, and I was working here at the 180 desk, and she came to volunteer and so I took her number, and I just kept the number, which you probably aren't supposed to do, but I kept the number, and I called her. But for some of you guys in here that are single, I just want to tell you, volunteering at church can really work out good. It can have great benefits, really, really great benefits. Um, we, uh, we ended up getting married. Um, I forgot that earlier. I'll skip that one. We got married, and um, it was quite the, quite the ordeal. You know, I was 31, which I'm going to tell you, for those of you who waited maybe not quite that long, 31 years is a really long time to wait to get married uh, for obvious reasons that I needed to be married. Uh, Crystal was my first. She will be my last. Uh, and we've been, a mar- we've been married now 19 years, 19 amazing years. So hills and valleys. I could, I could just do a talk just on those hills and valleys, which those of you who are married could probably do the, do the talk. Just We could probably have a panel up here all the way across the room and people would talk about hills and valleys in your marriage. But um, I was, it was definitely a hill for me. So you find yourself uh, in this situation where you're definitely saying this scripture, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. She has brought me so much favor just in who she is and what she's brought to our partnership. Truly, truly an amazing woman. Those of you who know her know that um, that's 100% who she is. 
there have definitely been hills and valleys there as well. But how many of you know when you marry a woman, you marry her family as well? And so for some of us, that's really good. It's really not ever all good. I mean, it's either all good or all bad. There's nothing really in the middle. So you either have, a, you have great in-laws or you have, let's don't ever go over there again and let's find a way, let's move to a different state or a different country so we can, we can be away from them. In this case, um, I was really grateful to have really good family in her family. And, and um, her, her family was really, has always been really, really good to me. Her dad, um, in particular, such a great guy and um, fun, ornery as you can imagine, completely ornery. He's got um, got a streak to him that was pretty crazy. But he um, he would he would, he took such good care of us, and he would come over to our house and bring us. I mean, for whatever reason, he knew our favorite drink, and he'd just show up with our favorite drink. And I'm like, how did you even know what I like? He'd show up and say, you know what? I noticed that such and such when your house is broken, I just brought you another one. I'm like, who does this? But there was never a, an account of, of a record of, oh, I did this for you. You owe me for that. I learned so much about what it meant to be, be a true giver. When we moved uh, into our first apartment after we got married, um, I, there was a note on the bar when we got back from our honeymoon, and it just said, note from dad. And so I opened it up, and the note said, um, we've paid for your first year of your apartment because we want you to spend more time on relationship than worrying about money. So you think that doesn't make an indelible impression on a young man who's trying to provide for his wife and trying to get into a place where you can provide, especially for a dad that's that good of a provider. Um, it, it, was, it was tough um, ever thinking that I needed to repay that. It's definitely a hill moment for me to look and say, God is, our, God is always my provider. And I was really, really grateful for his uh, contribution. It was in February of 2005 uh, on a Friday night. Uh, Zane was at the time about two and Mike came over like he would a lot and said, hey, I, wanna, I want you guys to go out uh, for dinner tonight and um, I'll watch Zane and then I have to go out of town tomorrow. So I will um, stay until you guys go out on your date. And then her mom was there and she can stay here until uh, you guys get home. I was like, OK, cool. So we did. And um, he put Rock Zane to sleep that night and then went on home and flew out the next morning to far Texas and for whatever reason, um, he left on a Friday, and this was now Saturday late or maybe even Sunday morning. We had not heard from him, and no, no communication at all. And then so I, on Monday, I was driving down the road, and my phone rang, and it was Crystal's mom, and she was crying uncontrollably. And I said, what's wrong? You know, like, what? You know, I had never heard seen her in this scenario before, so upset. And she said, uh, Mike's gone. And I'm, what do you mean, gone? Like, he's not here. I'm like, what does not here mean? Like, I know he's out of, t- out of town. No, he died. And I was like, what do you mean? How, what happened? And she said, well, they, he never checked out of the hotel, and they went in the hotel, and he had died in, in his sleep. And so that was probably one of the darkest days of my life. So then I had to pick up the phone. My wife was somewhere else and call her and say, hey, meet me at the house. I've got to, I've got to tell you something. That was hard. It was really hard. Nobody wants to tell your wife that, her hero, her dad is gone. Man, where was God in those moments? You know, I, I continue to ask myself, God, where are you? And we asked that question for a, a very, very long time. I, I relied on this scripture pretty heavily to be anxious for nothing, but in everything, no matter whether it's a hill or a valley, no matter what it is, be by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which is really what I needed at that moment, 
that passes all of my understanding will guard your heart. Man, I need a peace bad. I really need a peace because it left more questions than it left answers. Who's going to take care of my mother-in-law? Who's going to take care of his business? Who's going to take care of so many things? Because he had taken care of me so much. And that was a real challenge. That was a real, real challenge. And it was one that I took probably more on myself than I should have. But it was a, it was a real deal for me. Also, in 2 Corinthians 7-4, 7, I've learned this scripture. And this, this applies whether you're in a hill or you're, or you're in a valley, but especially if you're in a valley. In all our troubles, our joy knows no bounds. I've hung on to that so many times. I can't even tell you. It's written right there in front of my computer. It's written in my desk, in my office, when things don't go the way that I think that they should. I've hung on to that. What losses are you experiencing today that you just can't, you can't describe? And some things are so horrible you can't even describe to anybody else. I've learned this scripture, this verse, this quote as well from Dr. Charles Stanley. We learn more in our valley experiences than our mountaintops. How many of you know that's true? I mean, we, and sometimes it's because our ears are most open to hear what God has to say to us. And man, my ears were open. I'm like, God, you got my attention. And not that God caused that. I definitely don't think that God caused that. And, and later on, uh, we learned um, that um, there was a heart condition there that had caused that. But I think sometimes we, we can blame God for things when really maybe some of the blame was on us because we weren't paying attention. Especially when it comes to our health, we have to pay attention. God will oftentimes warn us several times on things. And if we don't pay attention, we can run through and run right off, run right off into, into the valley. So we really have to pay attention to those things. Um, I want to leave that and go to a, a mountaintop for a minute that we had, um, we built a house. And after, two years after that, my Grace and my little one was born and we built this amazing house and we just sold our 1,200 square foot house uh, for $4,000 over the asking price. So we were just seeing God move like crazy and it was just a really exciting time. And we built a house and the cool thing is we had this amazing builder, which I think the church did a story on it because it was still, it's still a miraculous story for house building. Um, this builder uh, agreed with us to build this house for um, a price, and the, and the house was 2,400 square feet. So it was double where we came from, uh, but he, he was a tinkerer, so he just kept moving things around in the, in the, in the plans to make the house bigger. Um, well, what if we did this? What if we built a dormer here? Well, it turned out that the house ended up being 3,800 square feet, and he kept his price. So I built my house, for those of you who know, like $64 a square foot. It was ridiculous. So we're at the end of the, end of the deal when we're about to be out of the house or about to, to sign the deal in the house. He walks in the house and he says, man, everything that went wrong in this house was in your favor. You know, you got upgraded in tile, you got upgraded in your windows, you got all these upgrades. And he said, man, every, everything was in your favor. Well, we knew as we had prayed that Psalm 512 said that he surrounds you with favors with the shield. And so we knew that the reason we got this because that's what God wanted. And it didn't cost him necessarily anymore. It's just... We got the good end of the deal on that one. And, and so for us, again, sitting on top of the hill, it was, it was a really, really amazing, amazing moment. And I ask this question a lot. Was God any less good when I'm standing on top of the hill and having amazing things happen than we were walking through the loss of Crystal's dad? I mean, that, I really had to question myself on that because, again, it's easy to say God is good when things are going well. But when things aren't, is God any less good? 100% not. We have to adjust ourselves and ask ourselves, where's my trust? Is my trust in just the good times? Or is my trust in a God who is the God of all the times, not just the times when things are good? And I found myself asking that question a lot. Where are you, God, in all this? Um, 
As the house was built, we went through the house and on the timbers of the house, we wrote scriptures of things that would have happened in that room. So if it was our living room, we wrote scriptures about hospitality and how much we wanted to see God move in our house. Well, with, somewhere along that way, our church started small groups. And we had a couple small group, which we've hosted for, gosh, ever since we started. Eight couples, 16 people we had in our house every Wednesday. And so many things we wrote on those walls came true because they were, very, they were written in the foundation of the house. And so, again, we watched God's word, be, God be faithful to his word and honor what we had put down in those walls. <clears throat> like the next thing I want to talk about is, is, is a really hard one for me and uh, not something that I've really talked about publicly at all. Um, I had a great, great family growing up. Like I said earlier, I had three great sisters. Um, everyone thinks that I was, I was babied a lot. Actually, I, I took care of them. They were all, you know, my, when the boyfriends were, were mean, I was the brother that was there that could help out. I probably know things about women that I probably shouldn't know. Uh, which has helped me in my marriage. My wife thanks my sisters regularly because uh, they, she says they trained me well, although I was, a re- I was very observant. So I learned, hey, when you do this, this equals bad. When you do this, this is good. So you kind of pick up on those little nuances of how, how ladies work. Um, my parents were good. They were really good people. My mom was an amazing woman who taught us God's word. I remember sitting at our table so many times and she just would spill out God's word and the application of it. And we would sit you know, she worked some, but when we'd come home from school, we'd sit at the table. She'd made cookies or whatever. She was, she was June Cleaver in a lot of ways. June Cleaver, but filled with the Spirit of God. My dad was a great dad, super great dad. Uh, never missed an event, never missed anything, was always there. Dad was not necessarily the strongest spiritually. My mom, like in a lot of our homes, the mom is the strong one. Uh, my dad was not as strong. And so um, it caused some problems for sure. My dad was alone a lot. Alone meaning he didn't have a real strong community around him. It's definitely not a community of people who were believers. Definitely not people who would keep him in check. We've talked a lot the last two months in this breakfast about being alone. Um, It's a big deal. Lee talked about it quite a bit. Kirby talked about it, about being alone. And if there's anything that you can remember today, that's really important that you're not alone. My dad was alone a lot. It was in the summer of 2011. I had been doing a lot of work out of town in Atlanta, actually with Charles Stanley. And I was getting ready to board my plane and my phone rang. It was my mom. And as you can imagine, she's crying. So as you can imagine, all the thoughts that happened to me, my mother-in-law went through my head real quick. So you just, you kind of go numb all over. You guys know about that phone call you get when something happens and you don't really know exactly what's going on. It was different this time. The call was very different. She uh, reminded me that it was my dad's last day at his job, and he was coming home to, uh, to retire. And when she came home from work that day, there was a note, and the note said, I'm leaving. It was a hard day, really hard day. So the hero you held in your life, the longest your dad, who should be the best thing, that should, the best thing in your life and the best pattern and the one who most exemplifies who Christ is, walked out. Now, I was 43, so that shouldn't have been that big of a deal. I mean, I'm a grown man by now, but somehow it hurt even worse. Because again, that string I talked about earlier, your life starts to unravel and you start to think, man, maybe everything I've learned is, is a lie. And you start to question, maybe it's not true. I knew it was true, but the enemy sure does lie a lot. So my mom's heart was broken. They'd been married for 44 years. And so suddenly um, <clears throat> my mom is alone. This is very, very painful, very, very painful. 
my world was rocked. For some reason, this was a different kind of death because Crystal's dad didn't necessarily choose to die. My dad chose to die to us. That was very hard, very, very hard. And you don't always know the details of everything. Your parents haven't told you everything. You don't know what caused, like what was the initial cause of why he left. Um, you know, marriage is a partnership, so you don't know what all happened. But still, leaving is never an option. Walking out, there was no, there was no reason to walk out. <clears throat> everything was workable, but he walked out. You begin to question, was it something that I had done earlier on? Did I do something to alienate him? You know, as a kid, I, I can imagine, you know, some of you have probably been through this a lot. You went through it a lot earlier in your life. Um, you questioned a lot about if it was your fault. Somehow, being older, it was a lot worse. I felt rejected. I felt rage. How could the situation ever be redeemed? It was a deep valley. It was a very, very deep valley for me. Uh, how would it work out? Being the peacemaker, I'm, I've always been an eternal peacemaker. How can I connect this person to that person? How can I just make everything good between this group over here? You get, you get along and you get along. And if everyone's not getting along, I'm not happy. And especially having three sisters, believe me, it's like this <laughs> a lot with girls. And so I was always, okay, you're upset with her and he's upset with you. Well, how can I make this? In this situation, I couldn't fix it. And as men, you know, we like to fix stuff. We like to fix things. And I, I couldn't fix this with my dad. As it turned out, the marriage was not salvageable, and um, my dad married the high school sweetheart that he'd been having the affair with for about 10 years. So again, deception. You felt very, I felt very, very deceived. Where did that leave me? Now two, li- two men in my life are gone. You know, my dad's not gone forever, but he's, he, he chose to leave. My father-in-law gone forever. But two very important men to me are now no longer in my life. I've forgiven my dad. My dad did ask for forgiveness. Um, and I'll say this. People say, well, do you have daddy issues? How many of, in the, of us in, the, in this room do have some sort of daddy issues? I didn't have daddy issues. I had daddy with sin issues. There's a difference. There's a big difference. And I was able to note that. So when, you, when I see him now as a man, not with, um, I see him as a man a lot different than I did before, especially as, as a grown up because you see a man who has not yet met the real Jesus, because that transforms everything. And I remember saying, sitting in church, um, it was one of the weekends that Witt preached, and, and you, you say to yourself, well, that'll never happen to me. I'm in a good church. I've got great friends. That'll never happen to me. And Witt said in that service, don't ever say that. I think Lee said that. I think Stephen Posey said that. Don't ever say I'm not capable of doing the same thing. And Witt said this in this service, the seed of the worst of us resides in the best of us. I could not tear that out of my heart because we're all capable of great evil left to our own devices. I'm like, dear God, help me not be there ever. And how could I make sure that I would do the same thing to my wife? Because you see in my dad's side of the family, all of his brothers, every one of them left for another woman, another whatever, some of them multiple times, some of them three and four times. I'm like, dear God, how can I not be the same way? We'll talk about that here in just a second. As much as I wanted to say that I would never do that, I can't and I won't. But what I will say is I'll be connected to the cross. I'll keep my face at the foot of the cross and I'll be in a community of people who know who I am, know where I am, who know my struggles, who know my weaknesses and love me just the same. It's critical. My dad was not in the community. He had no, no one around him, no accountability. He was running alone, working out of town, secretly seeing this other woman. It was deplorable. And I still hurt from these actions today. 
<clears throat> my dad wasn't the only one that failed me. There were three other guys that I worked for who held high positions, one in particular here that failed me. Some of these guys I would have taken a bullet for, and I believed in them. And it was hard. It's still hard today. In my first mountain trip, I remember walking up with Lee, and it was the reason why I went to the mountain, is I said, I don't know how to reconcile the failures. And the men in my life who should have been the greatest example to me were actually some of the worst and most miserable failures. Lee looked at me, and he said to me, why do you keep looking for a role model? Be one. So in my heart, in my mind, I'm always looking for, well, who, who's going to be that guy who's going to be a leader? Who's the one who's going to be exemplary to me? Well, of course, my pastor has been. And that's been why I've been at this church for 28 years is because I could found a man that I could follow that I knew who would be true to what he said he was. That's why this church is a big deal to me because I found in Willie George someone that I could follow who I knew wouldn't fail because he had been faithful for all these years. Lee's response to me that day was life-changing because it, it turned me completely away from seeking to being and being who God wanted me to be. Part of that is what's wrapped up in this breakfast is not just waiting for someone to come along and say, hey, why don't we do something? It's taking it and saying, you know what? Let's do something and let's make it happen. Let's call men together that we can speak into and have speakers come speak into our lives. It's a big deal to us. As I close today, I want to leave you with just a few things to think about and pray about. Why do we work so hard to connect? Because my dad wasn't connected. And I need to be connected. You need to be connected somewhere. Someone who knows you, who knows the real you, not the one that you put on a nice jacket and you look good and you, you fix your hair up and you go lift weights and you look great. The exterior fades away, but where's your heart? That's the question today is where's, where's my heart? When dealing with teenagers especially, we deal a lot with that. You, know, you can deal with exterior things and you say, you know, this is frustrating or that's frustrating or is this going on? But when you cut to the heart and you find out where those actions are coming from, you find out what the root cause is. And I wanted to be in a group and a community of people who knew me. This is a good start to come here, but it goes deeper than what goes on in this room. Being in a community of people who know you and believe in you, it's a small circle. Circles that we run in are really, really critical. So many of you in this room today are, are, are close friends of mine. And I do text you a lot. You text me a lot. And it's because I want to know you. And I want you to know that God loves you very, very much and has great plans for you. Interestingly enough, in all these scenarios, um, God's redeemed so many of these situations. Um, with my dad being gone, um, we still have a relationship and he's still, he's still around. It's, it's very different. It's very shallow. The things we talk about are not the things of God. They're the weather and sports and things that, as a son, you're like, it's important. But I'm at the point in my life where I want to talk about what, what Jesus thinks about me and what he thinks about the people around me and what he thinks about my future and his future. But God sent people to redeem, redeem these situations. Of course, my, my boys now don't really have uh, a grandfather who lives here. Um, and the one that would have been the, mo- the best granddad is, is, is not here. However, some of you know my Uncle Dennis, who's sitting, sitting right over here. Uncle Dennis, Uncle Dennis filled that role of being not just somewhat of a dad to me, but being a grandfather of my boys. And actually, he can, he can play, with the ba- play on the basketball court with them almost better than I can. He's a lefty and a great shooter. But God used him to fill holes in my wife's heart because her heart was broken, like sincerely broken. And here comes Dennis with his great extrovert, big old extrovert attitude, um, um, personality and people people think that he's my dad because we have a lot of similarities in our personalities and I'm so grateful 
So grateful for you. He brought other really great men into my life that have helped be role models to me and be um, what the failures had, had been disappointments to be great. I could, I could list so many of you sitting here today that have been that to me, uh, and I'm so grateful, so, so grateful. And he's also brought brothers. Golly, you know, growing up with three sisters, I just kept saying, do I ever, will I ever be done with Pink and Barbie? I am done with Pink and Barbie. I'm tired of being the only kin in the house and destroying my sister's Barbies because I did that a lot. You know, look where Barbie is. She, she's buried in the mud, mud in the backyard. <laughs> um, but to have brothers who are around me a lot. So many of you text me, um, even before this morning, just text me and tell me you love me. Man, you have no idea how much that means to me. Not that my dad didn't tell me that he loved me, but he didn't tell me near enough. I don't think anybody can ever fill a well that deep, but brothers do that. The Mountain Men experience was pretty incredible, pretty incredible, pretty life-changing because I know that I know that I know that I have about 10 phone numbers that I can call at any moment's notice and say, I need help, or I need you to pray for me, or I'm just struggling today. Man, that's invaluable. My dad didn't have that. I'm grateful today for the things that have been hills, things that have been valleys, things in between. To be content in all things, I am very content, very, very content because I know that I know that I know that God loves me and that I have people around me who love me. Every day, I have people around me that love me. And I'm not going to go down that path. I'm going to be the difference, difference maker in my family for generations. We won't have broken homes. My boys won't know a broken home. My boys won't know lack. They won't know, they'll know the peace of God that passes all understanding. So today I want us to bow our heads and I have a couple more things I want to say to you as we're just in this prayerful moment. Today, if, if you're sitting here today and you're facing, um, facing failure, you're facing disappointment, facing loss of a hero, God knows we all need heroes in our lives. You've been through too many valleys. You've been in mountains. Some of you have had great mountains of success and you've stood there and you said, man, I'm awesome. Maybe you didn't say that out loud, but you said it in your heart that I'm awesome, I got this. We all can know today that we don't got this. God's the only one that's got this in us. He is the source of all of our contentment and he wastes nothing when it's submitted to him. So today, whatever's in your heart there that is, is, is painful, that's hurtful, things have been done to you, things you've done to others that need to be forgiven of, God can redeem that. If you're here today and you'd say, um, I have a hurt, I have a, I have a deep hurt. Our, all of our, our, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I just wanna see your hand just for a minute because I wanna pray for you. I'm not gonna call you out, I'm not gonna make you go anywhere. I just, wanna, I just wanna see a hand if you're just like, man, I'm hurt. I've been hurt, I'm hurting someone. I'm hurting someone right now. Wherever it is, I see hands, I see several hands right now. Man, hurt is real, pain is real. But God is a redeemer of pain. Matter of fact, Jesus hung on the cross for our pain. He took his pain on his very back for us so we wouldn't have to. He is a God of contentment. He is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the source of all that we need today. I wanna pray for you and then I'm gonna go through one more prayer while your your, uh, heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. 
Jesus, for all the pain, God, that we go through in this life, Lord, you are a redeemer. You are a redeemer of pain and, and sorrows, things that are disappointing, things that didn't go the way we wanted. God, you can redeem those things, and we submit those to you today. These hands that were raised, Lord, and so many of us, Lord, that still may not even raise our hand, it's, it's, it's legitimate. We submit it to you today, God. We say that we're trading our hurts, our pains for your joy. In all of our troubles, we can know, our joy can know no bounds because we are connected to the one who is our Savior. Submit that today to him. Write it down somewhere. Today I submitted that. I got rid of that. It's done. It's over with. I traded my sorrow for his joy. If for anyone else in the room today and you would say to me, man, I, I don't know that I could have gone through that because I don't really have a real relationship with Jesus. Man, he's always calling us through all these times, through all, all my life. I didn't have a lot of wayward times. It was a lot of um, seeking Jesus in the tough times. But if you're there, if you're here today and you're like, I don't know him or I don't know him as well as I should. Again, if I could just see your hand, I just want to pray, pray for you. Jesus is the best and the biggest thing that could ever happen in our lives because he's real and he is the friend who sticks closer than a brother. Let's say this together. We're going to pray this prayer together, especially those of us who've been, who've been with him for a long time. Dear Jesus, I thank you for being my savior. I ask you to forgive me of all the things I've ever done that hurt you and hurt your people. Help me today to walk in your righteousness, to trade my sin and my shame for your joy and eternal life. I give you my life. I give you my hurts. And I thank you that I can walk free today. In the name of Jesus, amen. If you prayed that today, there's an exchange there that happened between what my, my little one used to say, his black nasty heart for a clean heart. Thanks for listening today. Um, I'm so grateful to have been here to share some of the things that I've been through. I mean, we all, for, for me standing up here, every one of you can stand up here and share, share the stories, share what God's done in your heart. God is a redeemer today. No matter what you're going through in all of our, our struggles, our joy should know no bounds and all of them. Keep that in mind today. Um, I wanted to acknowledge that next week we have, or next month we have uh, Pastor Willie George back with us. You know, it's such a warm fuzzy in the month of December to have, have him speak here at our event. And I'm going to tell you, he loves speaking at these events. Uh, we're going to have him back a couple times next year as well. We already have this book for next year and, and, uh, he's very excited to be here with us. So don't miss December 6th. That will, uh, probably be our biggest event of the year. So um, that'll go up. We'll, obviously, we'll be emailing you. Look on your tables there as a sign-up sheet. If you're not getting emails from us for anything, um, we like to email you and let you know when the next breakfast is so you can sign up for it, especially because so many of us have tables that are um, sponsored by someone. If you want to be contacted directly to go, hey, I just need to, I need to register to get my own, uh, own seat or own table, um, just fill that out. We just need your name and your email, and that way we, we put you on our list. Um, thank you so much for being here today, and, and thank you for um, thank you for listening and being so attentive. I'm looking at your faces, and I'm just I'm humbled, really, really humbled. Um, Lee Martin, thank you, thank you for all your contribution in my life, and so many of our men in this room. Brian, the same for you, man. What you guys have started, probably a lot like this breakfast. I look back and say, man, the things God does in our lives are very small, and they get really big really fast because God's in them. This breakfast is part of that for a lot of us. Encourage you again. 
This is a good medium-sized group. Get in a small group. Get into a group where people know you really, really well, not just by face. And go, oh, yeah, I know you. No, you don't really know that person. So today, go in God's grace. Go in his peace today and know how much you're loved today. God bless you.